0: one Jacob Murphy to win it Oh, no, just put no, no, it in net no. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? Oh, Levitated by the human touch Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass Antonio's true chance of four, what a goal What a brilliant strike by McCain Antonio Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. I am joined as ever by my two co-hosts. Looking at six for eight centre-backs online is Callum Goodall. And <laughs> his views on Tommy Suchek is Jack Elderton. Good evening both. And a belated happy birthday to young Jack as well, who is now finally a teenager. Cheers, everyone. Oh, Cheers. There you go. I don't think I made one last week, so I've got to give one back <laughs> in. This week, we will be looking at Watford and a war of attrition and Kidderminster and our saviour that is Declan Rice uh my thanks to those of you who joined us live last week for the most disappointing transfer deadline day we could have hoped for and for the comments we have received from that and our other podcasts as well in particular Lofty Hammer on the forum who credits you both for the analysts uh the analysts the analysis is the one the analysis of targets the week before we ended up buying no one and he uh credited me as well for teaching you all how to pronounce doya chileta sa. Uh, fat lot of good that did us in the long run anyway. Which, <laughs> out of time, I've got, right, I've got to get this cry name right. Um, if you would like to get in touch and get your name read out by me and my glorious voice, all correspondence can be sent to Eva. The email address, which is podcast at KUMB.com. There's also the forum thread at KUMB.com, West Ham podcast thread. I'll put that up next time. And you can tweet as well at The Boss on Twitter KUMB.com. All words, no punctuation, which I believe is probably my catchphrase. Um, so it was, we'll get to Kiddermis later. We'll start with Watford. And I mean, it's not, not a game you'll remember. Uh, it's one that you want to stick in the memory, Cal, was it? It's not, that not, it wasn't a neutral's treat.
1: No, not at all. Um, I... Probably the best, the, the best testament of that is that I watched the first 45 minutes on the telly and then at half time my girlfriend was like, do I have to watch the second half? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, OK, I'll go watch it on my laptop. <laughs> so That's probably, yeah, yeah. even she can put up with it and she's pretty good at that. So, um, But no, it was just a dull affair. I mean, obviously great to get the three points, we're still sat in fourth. But yeah, it's, it's it's a game that we'll forget pretty quickly, I should think.
0: It must have been a uh a, a less than interesting rewatch for you, Jack. Oh, I got distracted you did. The
2: first time round unwrapping my first tricycle. Um <laughs> <laughs> But uh no, the rewatch. Uh, the rewatch was tough. The rewatch was <laughs> very, very tough.
0: Oh uh, hopefully you've still got your stabilizers, so you'll get past that <laughs> and you'll <all> be fine. <laughs> uh, I tried to take my shtick. That's my shtick. <laughs> um, Sorry everyone. I apologize so we just, yeah, forgive I mean, me. People, people tune in for my age jokes. That's what they're coming here <laughs> for. they am reclaiming the- it. I'm reclaiming. I'm taking the power back. <laughs> never, never. Um, I guess we could. We could start with. It's. It's not going to be a. Usually, we go through these games and we go. We kind of use goals as our side posts of where we're going to go in the game. But we got. You know, we got one, and there's not really much. Too much you could take from the analytics of it in terms of it was a very bad. Shot that ended up deflecting in. Uh, there was no magic to it, no real major moves. So, uh, so what, what would you say was the cause of the kind of a torpid? I think is the best word to use to describe it. Display of what what was going on. Thanks, Cal. What was going on in the midfield there, Jack?
2: Uh, lots of things. I mean, that's a bit, that's a very difficult thing to condense down in a very short answer. But um, I oh. think everyone could, uh, <laughs> I think everyone could point to the fact that the tempo was clearly not there. Um, and Cal and I have spent today looking at the ways in which we can kind of quantify that both with numbers, but also in terms of a tactical approach. Um, I think that we really, really struggled to to pass vertically in the first half um, for sure. And, uh, and centrally was a real huge issue finding uh, balls into central areas, particularly in Watford half um so it's a lot of kind of uh funneling it down the wide wide zones and then um as palace were under Hodgson, they're very very quick to commit two straight out to the wide zone and force you to 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 play backwards then so you kind of end up with this sort of horseshoe shape of construction where you're going down one flank not getting anywhere coming back playing it across the defense going down the other one coming back and you just go back and forth like that and that's how Hodgson's sides are, are are often very comfortable and why he's been very successful for, for a long time at stabilising teams in that area of the division because you can effectively stop teams from being able to get the ball into their creative players and often in that sort of, I want to say sort of 7th to 17th range where he's looking at being better or being able to take points away from, against those teams, you, you're often looking at teams that struggle to, to have um, exceptional creators from deep. Um, you might have one um, remarkable player in 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 um, a forward position, either a striker or a winger, uh, but often there's a lack of of, of real quality in defensive midfield or, or someone who can unpick um, a, a defence from from deeper areas. So it's it's often very effective as a tactic, unless you come up against someone who can who can dominate games from deep. And we definitely didn't have that here. Usually you'd expect Rice to be that player, but certainly wasn't at his best in this game. And there were several opportunities where he could have carried forwards or, or passed forwards and he opted to pass um, backwards. And actually one of the things that went um, grew in terms of our performance as the game went on and, and, and led to us creating more and more chances was that Hodgson teams have always been really, really um, soft to players running at them or or, or dribbling. Even even lateral dribbles in in their half cause all sorts of problems because they force commitments. And generally, Hodgson... with, with Palace and, and now with Watford, the players aren't necessarily that good um, and the structure can be very strong. So as soon as you force them into individual battles or to force them out of that shape in any way, then, then the chances come really quickly. And I think one of the really disappointing things from that first half was that we didn't challenge them more by, by carrying centrally or, or, or even carrying laterally in that half because as soon as we did, I mean, the, the Ben Rama chance that, that came in the first half came from the first real moment where someone carried laterally across the pitch. It's just Bayern receiving on the right-hand side and 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 dribbling inside and carrying across it forces two over commitments straight away because the players aren't actually that good it's just the structure that is defending them and then suddenly the gaps open up very quickly
0: So, so a little bit of that is you're looking at say you know also accepting that they something they did very well was something that negates something we were trying to do
2: well actually generally what we like to do anyway is to to funnel our creation down both flanks and Antonio really attacks the channels so if there's a team that that or a manager that sets up really well to negate that defensively, then Hodgson is definitely that guy. So they were perfectly set up to negate those strengths that we have and force us to do things that we're not that comfortable doing. You don't often see us forcing lots of balls down the centre of the pitch. We like to cross from from wide areas and create overloads in those spaces. And, and they're very well set up to defend against that, yeah.
0: So I, I don't want to go in depth onto this, because I think we've discussed it enough and it's probably not the game for it. But you could look at that and say... Antonio was a little bit quiet. That's because of stuff they did really well and stuff we chose not to do centrally, I guess. So they were blocking the areas on the wings very well. And he wants to do those channels and we weren't using the central areas.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And I think we persisted with it maybe for too long, trying to trying to go down those flan- uh, flanks. Um, it's, it's a hallmark of any moist side, not just West Ham, particularly to try and, uh, progress possession down the left flank in particular. Uh, you look back at that Everton side and think of how integral Baines was to their to their progressive output, um, and you see it a lot. We have a lot. We commit a lot of players to the left hand side quite frequently. Ben Rama, Nows, um, Rice, uh, Cresswell, all kind of getting in and around there, looking to overload. And sometimes we have success doing that. But like Jacks rightly pointed out, the one thing Hodgson's teams have, have been good at is making sure that the threat on the flanks is very limited and I think had we noticed that sooner then the game perhaps would have taken a different shape but I think we probably continued with a a tactic that wasn't it was was obviously not working for too long um, because I think we didn't really know what else to do because we we are quite dependent on on working those overloads and stuff uh, and it didn't seem like we had much for plan b to resort to
0: We'll talk, we'll talk about the left side a little bit later, I guess, more. We've got a couple of things on Lanzini, Benrahma for now, but, and a couple of things with Cresswell later as well. But if we start with the midfield, and you were talking about needing someone who's a good creator from deep or a good passer from deep, we have a very good player who can play deep, but he didn't have a very good game, Jack.
2: No, uh, Rice really really not at his best here definitely in the first half was was miles off it. actually um really struggled in possession gave the ball away very cheaply a number of times I think the most obvious one that I remember and a lot of people will from the game was when we actually did manage to break through the Watford midfield and 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 Rice was carrying away down the right flank and he just took a a heavy touch and and lost the ball and and there was a turnover and a a good counter-attacking opportunity that led to that header for um, Uri Kutska at the back post um just briefly, actually, on 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 midfield construction, just the last thing I wanted to say is it's not, it's hardly surprising, you know, when we're we're talking about the way we like to overload the flanks, it's hardly surprising that we came up against a team, Hodgson managed that, then played four central midfielders across the midfield. I mean, you've got Yuri Kuzka playing right wing uh, to to defend against that kind of left-sided overload, and then uh, I think it was Tom Cleverley, wasn't it, on on the other side to yeah. to to negate the same thing on the on on the opposite flank. Um, but no, with Rice just uh, poor in possession. Uh, should several times really I'm looking at carries I think the passes um he 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 could have done better but really something that was very obvious and staring him in the face the whole game was was when he was receiving centrally there was just opportunities to just run centrally at um, at Watford and and generally what happens with these teams is as soon as you force someone to come out and commit to tackle you and you can find a teammate then suddenly the gaps just fall into place off that's like dominoes uh, and if you just pass Uh, that responsibility on the whole time and no one ever commits anyone into a 1v1 then you're just never going to get anywhere because Watford will just shift across the pitch in that shape uh, uh, and be very very comfortable deflecting anything you try and do so um, I think it was Azuma in the end at the at the end of the first half that worked out actually if I just run forwards across the halfway line they just run away (laughs) <laughs> and suddenly the gaps open up or you force them deep enough to be able to get into crossing positions. And it's just something that Rice should have taken responsibility with far, far earlier in the game. I think it took him till probably about 55th, maybe even the 60th minute before we started to see him really carrying, um, even on the flanks. So um, not good in that sense. And actually, in terms of the defensive value that we're used to seeing him adding uh, really weak in the tackle here, um, tackling and, and, and not winning the ball cleanly uh, and, and and not being able to turn things over. I think there were a number of times where he read the play perfectly and was in a position to intercept and just thought he had more time than he did and someone was able to nip in in front of him. Um, so, yeah, one of his worst performances this season and one of the worst performances I've seen from him in a while, actually. It's, it, yeah,
0: he it looked, it was uncharacteristic, wasn't it? So I guess you could argue... Had to be the hero not too many days yeah. before. A little bit of fatigue coming. I know mm-hmm. we've had that rest, but it's almost slightly negated, I guess, if you had to play two times in three days. Gal.
1: Yeah, I think this is it as well. And it's worth saying that, uh, we're judging Rice by his own standards, which in itself is elite. Like I, th- I looked at his numbers today and if they were put up by like a, a midfielder of a middling Premier League club or someone who we just know isn't on Rice's level, then they'd be very respectable. Like his, his pass percentage and stuff and, um, the quantity of passes he was doing forward was still good, but they were just so far below his average for the season that it, it, it really sticks out. Um, the main, the, the biggest, um, anomaly uh, so to speak was uh, like Jack's rightly pointed out his his defensive contribution actually and he only won 38% of his defensive jewels yesterday which is just unheard of for Rice he's usually mid-60s early 70s most games um, so to, to win only three of eight defensive jewels against a team that don't really possess like such talent that you could forgive it, if that makes sense. Like if he was coming across a, a Messi or a Neymar or whatever and, and he was getting beaten in the jaw, you'd be like, fair enough. But he just wasn't. And it, it was just an off day, really.
2: I think I would just throw in here that I, he was definitely tired, but I do think there are ways to manage that as a player. And I think proactively dealing with Musa Sissoko was probably the best thing he could have done all game. And 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 if you give Suzoko, even even though Sissoko must be in his sort of mid-30s now, or at least sort of. Beyond thirty-two, like if you give him the chance to get going and get moving at you when he's carrying the ball, then he's really hard to knock off the ball. If you just nip in a little bit quicker and you're tighter to him, uh, then I don't really think he can take control of games in the way that he was able to for periods of that first half. So, um, so even though he was tired, I think he could have managed that a lot better.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I, I'm going to come to something on tempo for a second to you, Cal. But I just want to f- you when your first watch you were particularly concerned with how Suchek was playing yeah second watch change your mind now i thought he was quite dominant defensively maybe a bit sloppy on the ball but he, he sometimes is what what would you kind of take away on your second watch jack well he was
2: definitely dominant defensively he was very very good in the air uh, for long stretches of the game really some some really important uh, headed clearances um but I, but i think i mean it's something i've actually lamented this season and I, and, and and last season as well is that sometimes when we're we're having issues in construction that can be misdiagnosed as Suchek's problem because he is the weakest passer in the team. Um, And often these things are structural. I mean, we've talked about the way in which we try to overload the flanks and we refuse to really uh, budge from that and to to try and play the ball through the centre of the pitch where actually Watford were much more vulnerable. Um, And that's really the key issue rather than two or three mistakes from Suchek. And and what can happen as a fan on the first watch and certainly happened to me this time, and and I, I, I put a tweet out earlier saying that I was completely wrong about it but you can kind of because you're not necessarily seeing the structural issues because you're watching in that incident by incident way, um, you pick up the fact that Suchek's passed the ball off the pitch three times or something in the first half and you think well it's his fault, that's why we're not being able to to construct play as well as we know we can and actually Although he did do that a few times, he actually was was key to a lot of the stuff we did really well as well on the ball. And it, so as well as his defensive contribution, it was him that was being able to find Bowen in between the lines between Kamara and Samir. Um, and that's where Bowen often threatened the most um, throughout the game. And it was also him that was committing to the spaces in central areas where he should have been being found by, by teammates. Um, so certainly not his fault at all.
0: That reflects, uh, reflects quite well on him on the, on the rewatch. We were talking about tempo uh, prior to that, Cal, and it, it felt like it was a, we were playing low tempo. It felt like we weren't kind of getting things going. I, I don't know what your thoughts on that was, or what you took away after the game as well were num- with the numbers. But it didn't seem like we were doing the job to move Watford around.
1: Yeah, so this is something that uh, myself and Jack had had a discussion about earlier, um, and in terms of how you can track tempo. Uh, and like quantify it because uh, the sort of uh, one way that uh, you can do it or or is sometimes used is um, to look at the number of passes per minute Um, but obviously that is a bit of a skewed uh, metric in the sense that if you're just passing sideways to each other fairly quickly but not getting the ball anywhere then Uh, that would drive the tempo metric up, but you're not actually progressing the ball. So we didn't think that was a particularly good reflection because um, uh, looking at that number, it was actually our highest throughout the season. It was 19.1 passes uh, per minute of possession, which is the highest we've recorded. But we, all three of us, after watching it, the main takeaway was that we just played with no intensity, no energy, and the tempo wasn't there. Um, so we had a look at different ways that we could quantify this and I did a lot of random sums in Excel. Um, and we kind of came to the conclusion that a lot of the sums that we were trying weren't showing any anomalies. Uh, so passes per positional attack, uh, were pretty much consistent against, uh, all the games this season, uh, including Watford. Uh, this, the per- percentage of passes that go forward was pretty much the same as well. It was, uh, 32%, which was actually more than um, in one game, uh, our four-one win against Leicester. Um, which I basically just looked at all the games where I thought we stood out as being really good. <laughs> um, so then we were like, okay, bizarre. Why is this? Why is none of it showing up? Because it was quite clear to anyone that watched it that this wasn't right. Uh, and then I decided that I would look at passes per shot. Uh, and that's where it started to get very ridiculous. Uh, so in some of the games that I picked out, so our our four-one win against Villa away we averaged 22.7 passes per shot. Uh, in that Leicester game I just talked about, it was 29.7. Um, and in the previous Watford fixture, uh, where we blew them away, it was 33.5 passes per shot. So fairly standard, like around the 28 to 33 mark. Um, yesterday, however, against Watford, we averaged uh, 71.8 passes before we managed to get a shot off. Uh, which is quite the quite the anomaly. So basically that suggests that in other games, by the time it took us to get a shot off against Watford yesterday, we would have already had three shots, almost four uh, in that same uh, number of passes. So I think that's probably the biggest testament is that, yes, we had a lot of the ball. Yes, we were passing it around a lot. But when we were getting there, uh, we were just struggling to do anything with it. And then like Jack mentioned earlier with the horseshoe, we'd get there, Hodgson's defenders would force us out wide. We couldn't do anything. We'd pass it back all the way back around the centre backs to the other side. And it was just like that sort of back and forth throughout the game. Yeah, it was infuriating. But, um, yeah, that's just a bit of maths for for you all. Just a bit of my workings.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never find yourself. You never find yourself in shooting opportunities playing like that because you're just being funneled into all the least dangerous areas. And that's what Hodgson is brilliant at as a manager. Mm -hmm. And it's very frustrating. I mean, it's one of the limitations of Moyes. And and, and that's why we constantly find ourselves talking about our inability to break down low-block teams is that one of his limitations is that he doesn't necessarily... Personally, coming into a game against Watford that are managed by Hodgson, I'd probably be talking to the team about playing through central areas rather than trying mm-hmm. to do the same thing that we always do. Um, so, that level of adaptation is sometimes useful um, in these games, and it took far too long for us to adapt here.
0: Looking at, looking at more reasons why, I mean, we we were talking before the podcast, you mentioned, Cal, a difference between the way kind of Ben Rama and Four Nows are playing with each other. And I'm sure we'd all point that Lanzini, what something Lanzini does do generally is pass quite good in central areas. I mean, what what was it you were noticing in that disparity between, say, the combination of Four Nails, Ben Rama and the combination of Fornaus Danzini?
1: Yeah, so I think my main takeaway basically was, uh, when I was watching it and then was confirmed after the game, um, is that Fornaus is someone who we have seen excel in a West Hampshire, generally from the left-hand side and his ability to pass the ball into the penalty area. Ben Rama is another person who we've seen excel uh, probably less frequently, but also on the left, but sometimes in the ten. And uh, I think there seems to be when they're both on the pitch, uh, a tendency to sort of uh, overcrowd the left flank and take up each other's space, um, and in sometimes this is fine because, like we've said before, Moyes likes to try and work overloads on that left side, so it makes sense that you'd go and flood that and give opposition defenders uh, more men to worry about and then create spaces. But um, yesterday, it, it just was not the right thing to be doing. Uh, as we've said, it it would have been much more successful had we tried to play centrally um so uh, I looked at the uh, how frequently both Ben Benrahma, Fornals and Lanzini received the ball in central zones um throughout their time on the pitch so Ben Rama in the 60 odd minutes that he was on only received the ball in central zones twice um which is really not much at all um but is fine because you think, oh well he is playing out wide, that's fine. Uh, and for now's is, is playing centrally, so he'll he'll take the burden of of taking the ball in, in under control in central areas. Um but for now's also only received the ball centrally three times despite supposedly being played in a central role. Um but actually received the ball sixteen times out wide, eleven of which were on the left flank that Ben Rama was occupying. So you have this problem where they're they're both almost trying to receive the same passes because they're taking up the same position on the pitch and what that then leads to is a massive void in the field where we should be trying to play through and a lack of options uh, in build-up basically um, and then when Lanzini came on, uh, the whole dynamic of the game changed because he is someone who is really comfortable receiving the ball in central spaces. Uh, and whilst he only actually received the ball three times centrally, each of those three times he successfully progressed the ball, whereas the two times that Ben Rama received the ball, he gave the ball away on both occasions. Um, and I think that, that was it really, a combination of Lanzini's ability to find these pockets of space, allow For Nows to be the main um, person out on the left, which he does really well anyway. Uh, and that link up between them. And then also Lanzini's just general security and possession. He had 96% um, pass success rate against Watford, which is really impressive um, and a, a far cry from <laughs> the numbers that Ben Rama was putting up.
0: So, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Ben Rama and for obviously, he'd gone back to Lanzini kind of coming in with that the form he'd had, and Lanzini kind of become part of a almost a part of the three and a part of the kind of attacking quartet, maybe up top. So do you think he, why do you think he's Ben Bedraba for four hours, I guess, Jack? And what do you, I mean, what have you learned from that? Do you, what do you, does he learn, do you think as well from the way Lanzini came on? Which should, should that have been obvious if you're talking about those central areas anyway? Uh,
2: I don't, personally, I don't think it's a, a personnel issue. Um, I think Lanzini is is very secure in possession and is more comfortable than both of those players in central areas. But both Fornells and Ben Rama should be capable of receiving and turning in central areas against Watford. Um, certainly, Ben Rama, There was a there was a quite a uh, decent stretch of the first half where he swapped them over, uh, and Ben Rama was the player playing in the ten position. And um, I expect better frankly, from Ben Romer when he's playing in that position. He's a much better player than he made himself look at. Um, he, he he can receive and turn in those spaces and he can come deep, receive and turn and play forwards from that position. And, and he didn't do that at all. In fact, he he contributed very little throughout his entire stint on the pitch. And I don't know whether that was tiredness from the Kidminster game where I thought he was quite good, Um or whether he just wasn't wasn't confident about this kind con- kind of constant moving between the left and, and and the ten position. So so not not a personnel issue for me. I think you've also got a factor in. I think Lanzini's had an injury in training um, recently that kept him out of commitments yeah. to right. So he's he's only just come back to to, to fitness. So um, I wasn't entirely surprised that he wasn't selected. Um, and also. Really, if you're looking at players that can unlock a defence at speed and play with high tempo, it's definitely much more for Niles Ben Rama. Lantini, you, you might be looking for someone to pick the ball up in deeper spaces and progress the ball from, from our own half a little bit more. So I don't think it's really um, an issue in terms of uh, selection. I just think it's an issue in terms of the, those players executing... Um, the right actions on the pitch. And I don't really know if I can blame the players for that because it seems very, very obvious that we look to target the flanks as per usual. Um, so I think they were probably just doing um, what they're used to doing or what the plan was for this game. Um, and, uh, and then you see a, a, a shift in that approach definitely in the second half and definitely after the hour mark when Lanzini comes on.
0: Yeah, I was going to talk about that. So it's if you think about Lanzini coming on and not only getting the ball and passing forward, granted, I thought he was quite quiet until he did the right thing and cre- created the goal as such. It's also Bowen was interesting. It, he he did start to move and get the ball centrally. I don't know if that was because he'd done it once and got success or that was tactical, but that certainly shifted the way we were playing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I spoke to to Cal about this and Cal threw the numbers in in a sec, but um one of the key things that Bowen uh, begun to do in the second half, uh, which, he, which he didn't really do at all in, in, in the first half, was to drift into central areas. I mean, we, we've we got to kind of say here, Kamara for, for Watford um, played exceptionally well um, throughout the whole match and, and did a brilliant job on, on Bowen in the first half defensively and up to about the hour mark. Um, and actually, there was a moment, I think, just before... The, the point we're talking about now where, where Kamara tracked him all the way across to the, to the opposite flank um, and popped up right back just to block across over there, just to really put an exclamation point on the fact that you're not getting past me at all, mate. Um, so one of the things that Byron started to do, and you see that with him drifting across to the other flank, was was to start to drift away from the touchline um, and, and to take up spaces, uh, particularly in that half space between the centre-back and the full-back and to encourage Kamara to pass him off to Samir. And then once that's happened, to then drop a couple of the yards um, in uh, towards um, the centre uh, where he can draw the centre-back with him or find the pocket of space between the midfield and the defence. And that was much more threatening than anything we'd done up to that point. Um, and the same for Lanzini with what you're talking about um, him not necessarily being that impactful until he started to do the right thing. I think you see that change probably about seven or eight minutes after Lanzini was brought onto the pitch which, with the goal uh, around that period of the game. I think we started to play really well because you get Bowen starting to drift into that 10th slot. And as he's doing that, Lanzini starts to drop into almost a three midfield and where he can start to punch those passes through from a deeper zone. Um, and I think that was the, the best adaptation we made in the whole game and really what won us the game because um once Lanzini started dropping into those deeper spaces, he was really able to, to, to unpick the Watford midfield and find those gaps um, uh, between, and find players between the lines. And actually, I don't really, again, just to link it back to the personnel issue, I don't think this is something we really should have had to have done. I think Rice is more than capable of being that player. I think it, it maybe we should have arguably adapted much sooner because Rice clearly wasn't doing it. But once we did, um, it, it, it became a lot easier for us.
0: The numbers-wise, Cal, what did you see? What have you got for me?
2: Yeah, just some
1: more central zones. Uh No, so in the first half, Bowen didn't uh, receive the ball in central zones uh, at all. And in the second half, he received in central zones four times, um, one of which obviously led to the goal. Um, And I think that's the perfect sort of round off really is that as soon as he started to occupy central zones, um, you combine that with Lanzi- Lanzini's presence in the middle and his 100% uh, completion of forward passing uh, and also passes to the final third. That sort of link up between those two uh, adaptations results in a match-winning goal. And uh, that's the not only suggests that we should have done it sooner, but also is what Ben Rama wasn't doing on the other side. Bowen was started to do and it worked a great effect. So perhaps had both of them done it, it might have been a completely different story.
0: So if we we're talking about a, a kind of tough game, a game where only a goal is kind of enough to nick it, you have to give credit to the defence who played very well. Now, we're not going to do Zuma cat chat. Everyone's got their own opinions. I, I don't think we need to dissect it. Um, the club will do what the club will do. Um, but he certainly had a good game. Jack?
2: Yeah, well, whether or not you think he should have been playing, he played uh, really, really well. Um, uh, Actually, I think this was probably one of his best performances for us so far. He was almost faultless. Um, Really fantastic contributions defensively, interceptions, headers... um, proactive as well jumping out um, at the right moments to make tackles uh, to stop us from having to drop too deep um, also like I said I touched on it earlier about him taking some responsibility with carrying the ball forwards and committing players uh, and, and creating chances uh, well not chances but creating um, overloads in the midfield in that way that really he shouldn't be having to do in, in, a, in a game like this. That should be the midfield's responsibility, but he no, noticed it and, and, and took advantage of that. Um, so no, a, a really strong performance. And the same actually from Dawson. I don't think he was quite as good. There were there were a few shaky moments uh, early in the second half and not quite as secure in possession. Although again, uh his he probably had the highlight of the match right with the the ball and the, the Maisie run through the centre and and actually if there's anything that kind of summarises what I'm trying to say about the the, the vulnerabilities of a Hodgson team is that if Dawson can cause problems <laughs> when he's dribbling <laughs> then you can kind of see what I'm talking about it doesn't it's not a, that's why it's not a personality issue if anyone takes the responsibility of carrying the ball through the centre they are terrified by it. Um, so both centre-backs did a little bit of it. Um, there were a couple of really nice passes from Dawson as well as some of the looser moments, but but both very good defensively. Um, we really, really needed that because there were some there were some moments on the counter where Watford were quite threatening. I think, again, coming back to Kamara, I think he was really, really excellent at, at bombing on down the left side. I thought Dennis was, was really lively throughout and um, João Pedro, when he came on, was was exceptionally <laughs> good.
0: We will go on to talk about some very positive things, I guess with Cresswell, but he was kind of less than stellar. I, I say um, last night, Jack, he didn't, didn't really do what he's expected to do, I guess. Well,
2: he didn't really add anything at all. He was poor defensively. He was dribbled past several times. Um, wasn't particularly good uh from aerial jaws was a bit, a little bit uh, lackadaisical uh, when uh, the ball was dropping to him. I think that's something usually he's really, really good at is securing possession when the ball drops to him uh, from, from sort of second balls or loose balls. And he was just sort of slow and, and I can't probably more than five times that he tried to make a clearance or a ball upfield. And he was, someone was onto him pressing him and and blocked, blocked his clearance before he got it away because he was just so slow to make his decisions from those, those kind of uh, situations. And then in possession, I mean, uh usually such such a consistent performer for us um on that level and, and so 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 bad um Throughout the game here, just every time the ball came into him, really struggling to find teammates, really struggling to find threatening passes, several times looking to hit that channel on autopilot when there were balls into the center that he should have been playing. Um, And and that, I mean, people get really frustrated with Dawson hitting the ball into the channel like on autopilot as if not considering any other options. And Cresswell just did it for 90 minutes virtually here Um, and then crossing. I don't know how many chances he got, maybe three or four by making the right run. He deserves credit for making the right run. But um, every time he got into the right position, um, his crossing was awful. A uh, couple of really good chances where he got in behind. Um, the, the best one probably where, where he can pull back to Antonio and he, he, he boots the ball almost out of the box. Uh, but for Suchek, um, getting on the end of it and keeping things alive. Um, and then a really, really good opportunity just before halftime, about five minutes before half time, where uh, we'd broken through the midfield, forced them to drop deep. Their shape was all over the place and uh, Ben on to play down the left flank uh, with five runners to hit and, uh, and Cresswell just as if on autopilot, again, takes that touch out of his feet and, and looks to cross the ball and, and, and doesn't beat, um, well, I mean, it's a, such a poor cross that it hits the first runner and, and Suchek has to kind of crane his head backwards to try and get something onto it. And it's very easy for Watford to clear what should have been a really great opportunity. Um, so not at his best um, at all here, but um, we're not going to rag on him too much, I don't think, because he was pretty good against Kidderminster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know you you kind of, like how he said before the start that you could you could almost do a whole podcast segment on Cresswell's crossing, not being what people think Cresswell's crossing <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, he wasn't yeah. it really yesterday.
1: Yeah, no, it's yeah. Like Jack says, I don't want to jump on him too much, but it was one of his worst performances of the season. Um, just considerable drop-offs in pretty much every metric that we know him as being really good at. Sixty-six um, percent success rate passing to the final third. Usually that's up in the seventies. Uh, likewise with his forward passing, sixty-nine percent accuracy. Usually that's pushing eighty in most games. Um, so just a, a big drop off. Um, and I think as well, like the whilst there was a drop off in quality and success, there was actually an uptick in terms of volume, which I think is kind of speaks speaks volumes. They go double volume um, <laughs> about how we were almost trying to flogging a dead horse almost trying to force it down that left side when it just wasn't working like the volume went up and up and up but the success didn't come so we were just seeding possession so frequently um, when it was clear that it wasn't working and then defensively as well 43% success rate in defensive duels that's just an absolute stinker um, from Cresswell like that is just that's poor by anyone's standards at fullback, but he's been someone who has actually really improved defensively this year and is averaging around 68%, which is one of the highest, uh, it, well, it was at one point the highest uh, success rate of any fullback in the Premier League. So a, a more than 20% drop-off is is pretty considerable. Um, and then 16 ball losses as well. Like, that's just not on. That's just it's not atrocious. on. atrocious. Like, yeah, like, again, someone who's always particularly secure in possession to just be throwing the ball away like that is just bizarre. But, yeah, like we said, was you you offset that by looking at his performance against Kidderminster, which was, yeah, one of his best of the season, albeit against a team that are over 100 places below us in the league. <laughs> that
0: does transition us well into part two. And I think before we, we do kind of look at this game, tear shreds out of some praise others. I think the ultimate praise should probably go to Kidderminster who were fantastic to a man, um, did their jobs excellently with a lot of energy and, you know, uh, they, they didn't deserve to go out, let alone to to concede in the 91st minute and the 121st minute. I mean, if if we were, if we thought we were an unpopular club at the weekend for doing that, I suppose it makes sense that we did and carried it on and have continued to be this week. But it was about <laughs> the cruelest way we could do it. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, they were pretty really jacket before we do the analytics, I guess
2: they were excellent throughout. Uh, structurally brilliant. Uh, really committed to what their what their plan was. Executed it perfectly. Caused us all sorts of problems uh, in in doing that. And um, actually, not too dissimilar to that sort of Hodgson Watford chat in terms of setting up to to deflect balls into central areas, force balls into wide areas, force crosses. Um, and then, you know, when you've got some really big center halves who are very comfortable heading the ball away, it doesn't really matter what level you are or what level you're playing against. Um, if you force a team to play in the way that you want them to play against you um, and, and walk straight into your greatest strength, which seemed to be Matt Preston in the air, then um, then you're going to have success. And, and they did throughout. Um, so defended really well throughout the whole match. Um, and then they deserve credit for attacking really well in the first half. Um, but There they was a huge drop-off after halftime um, in terms of how much they threatened. Um, but in that classic way that you would approach an FA Cup tie against the team so so far above you, uh, press um, really hard, um, press together. You could hear the manager shouting throughout the game, um, together, 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 every time we got the ball in, in, in defence, which was... Um, I think Morgan Smith just wanted to go every single time. And yeah. sometimes he had to be reminded, actually, I need the support to, to go. And they were very, very good. There was only, I can only really think of one time where uh, Morgan Smith pressed alone and it allowed us to get through. So really fantastic pressing structure, caused us loads and loads of problems. And then uh, incisive on the counter, incisive on turnovers and, and and created chances of their own in that first 45 minutes. So huge, huge credit to them.
0: Yeah, it's a good, not not a bad weekend for you kind of, you know, on league sides with, um, Bournemouth going and doing doing Bournemouth Bournemouth doing Bournemouth in the long run there and getting through to the next round for a, a tie away at Everton, which is a the kind of reward you want, I suppose, for an FA Cup game. Um, but we were talking talking kind of contrasts, I guess, and we're talking Cresswell's Cresswell's bad from Watford and kind of saying you have to qualify that by being talking about how good he was against Kidderminster, and I guess the numbers and the were contrasting as well as the performance as a whole. You know.
1: Yeah, massively so. So as I was saying, like with the passing of drop off against Watford, um, Cresswell managed, uh, 100% pass completion rate when passing to the final third. Uh, so that's eight completed final third passes from Cresswell, uh, and also a hundred percent pass completion when you just look at forward passing in general. So, uh, and that was 19 forward passes. And then defensively as well, um, he won eight. Of his 10 defensive jewels so 80 percent uh which would be freakish if that was maintained across the course of the season but um yeah he he was really impressive and and he completely changed the game uh in my opinion along with other other introductions um but yeah was was really impressed
0: you, you've we've had I, I made cal do the negative on, on presswell I suppose so I'll give you the negative was on rice was yours jack so The positive on Rice, I guess, could be yours a bit here as well. And he was kind of cape-wearing hero at that point.
2: Yeah, I I think this is, I don't really need to go into great depth here. We all saw it. What an exceptional player. Um, what a brilliant, brilliant player! And, and I know a lot of people have, have have said, "Oh, it's you know Kidderminster," and actually, I think that's just such a terrible way to look at it because yeah. Kidderminster were so you know you've got the same people in one sentence going, "Oh, Kidderminster were brilliant; they deserve so much credit." And then like, "Oh, it's Kidderminster when it comes to Rice's mm-hmm. performance." And actually, no, Kidderminster were really, really good; played well above their level throughout the whole yeah. match. Uh, and Rice performed fantastically; came on, took control of the game, took it by the scruff of the neck to use a Totally dead cliche. I apologise, everyone. Um, but yeah, uh, central carrying, uh, all the things you want from him, all the things I would have liked to have seen from him in the Watford game, um, and yeah, the goal was just marvellous.
0: Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you get some stick for these things, but it only takes a second to score a goal, and that's a low list of cliches. Just to get your credit back in the bank, there, Jack. Um, it was he was one of. I think five subs made, and we'll talk about. I guess there's one more I think he really deserves to talk about because I guess Dawson kind of came on and did, just did the basics of what Craig Dawson was going to do. And it, the basics of what Craig Dawson do are so much better than Issa Jop. And we're not talking about Issa Job this week. We've had even, enough. We've I mean, actually had, I mean, enough. I've had I've had feedback from my own dad to tell me to stop doing the Issa Job Turks. I think I'm going to stop that one. <laughs> um, yeah. But Porn Owls was. He, he, he although I don't think he got a lot of comments from many people but because he did something that seems like it should be quite easy, but basically knew how to pass the ball forward was, yeah. was his uh, was his change to the game, I guess. It's not much more to it than that, really.
1: Yeah, just super accurate, super tight passing. Um, 11 progressive runs, by the way, for Rice. Just thought I'd chuck in the, by the <laughs> way, for <the internet>. you, Um <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, for now, um, 100% accuracy and passes to the penalty area um, and obviously we've talked previously about his ability to pass to the penalty area I think he's clocked seven uh, in that run when we had Norwich and Crystal Palace and all that in each game and he managed six uh, in a much shorter window against Kiddermans they just came on and and completely turned the game around um, and out of possession as well he was good he, he clocked three ball recoveries and, and um in important times in the game where we needed to sort of recycle possession a lot better and win it further up the, up the field. Um, And yeah, both offensively and defensively, I thought he was really impressive Um, and beating his man as well. hundred percent dribble success rate. Like that's not something that I particularly associate with four nows either um, as, as being like a really silky dribbler or anything like that. Um, So yeah, just stepped up when he, when we needed him and and was really influential in, in completely changing the game around.
0: I suppose it, what, it, what it did do with those three is, uh, if you're talking about left-side focus, there were three that kind of brought on down that left side. And our play was left-side almost exclusively, it felt like, mm-hmm. uh, um, at points in that game. But if, we, if we're looking at subs, um, there was one, I suppose, that wasn't made that you could talk about, Jack. And I, I mean, I, I'm i not desperate to talk about him, but I will leave you to do it, <laughs> which is uh, U- Ukrainian Andrei Armalenko.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's taken a lot of flack uh, for this game. And I'm in the middle of writing an article that, that should come out in the next couple of days that might actually be out by the time this comes out on, um, on sort of the need for a scapegoat and, um, and why someone is always blamed uh, for performances like this. And uh, Yarmolenko has definitely become that player over the last year. And um, I think this was one of those games where I came away from it feeling similar just because that's generally the narrative. Uh, but then on, on on the rewatch, it, 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 it was kind of plainly obvious why he wasn't subbed and why other players came off first. And and I'm not going to sit here and say that this was like a brilliant Yarmolenka performance. It definitely wasn't. But he offered something that that Vlasic was struggling to offer um, throughout the game. And and that's just the res- when we're talking about players taking responsibility and committing one v ones. And that's the way to break down structures that are that are really um, well knitted together. That's something he did throughout the game. And 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 I think. You know, one of the major criticisms of Yarmolenko, and I totally get it and I feel it as well, is that, you know, I think in the first half there was a sort of 30, almost, I think it was almost 37 minutes where he went without a significant involvement. Um, so, you know, a couple in the first few minutes and then a couple at the end of the half um, and the couple at the end of the half were both um, him giving the ball away. Um so went most of the first half without doing anything whatsoever. But when it came to making the substitutions in the second half, he was doing a really uh, neat job of receiving the ball in and around the box and playing with his head up rather than looking to um, just run directly at the, at the players around him. And, and actually, with the gaps that were opening up at that point in the game, that was really, really beneficial. So there were a couple of passes into Bowen in space. He he created some of the be- better chances that we had um, Definitely before extra time. I think he was slightly less impactful than extra time. But then, even then, you're looking at as well someone who's got the comfortability and the flexibility to switch with Bowen to allow both to excel on the right in different periods. We didn't really have someone who was comfortable playing up front throughout the whole game. Um, so the the fact that we could switch the two um, and and give both periods where they could do what they were doing brilliantly from the right. Um, allowed us to have the kind of flexibility to keep Kidminster on their toes, I think, um, which we wouldn't necessarily have had with other players on the pitch. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of moments that were just really good. There was a, there was um, a role on uh, Cameron. I think he was the left centre back, um, which which got him booked. I think I understand the dive thing, but I think that's been overcooked as well. He gets contact um, as he as he's turning and he goes down. He shouldn't go down, but look, players don't play with three camera angles in their head. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not thinking when he's going down, Oh, how's this going to play, um, on BBC iPlayer when everyone's rewinded it and taken screenshots and posted it on Twitter. He's just felt the contact as he's turning and has gone down. It looks embarrassing. He shouldn't have done it, but it's not the same as manufacturing contact. And that's a really important thing to say. It's not like that, you know, there's been no contact on him whatsoever and he's completely feigned it and tried to con the ref into, into giving a penalty. He's just gone down softly. Um, So look, not brilliant. Um, and I, I the other thing I would just add on is I mentioned it on Twitter as well, but, um, a lot of people, there was this talk afterwards. I think it was, um, ex West Ham employee put up about, um, him not celebrating and, and. Uh, and for now punching the air when the goal went in and, and that being some some way to quantify how much he cares about playing for West Ham that's nonsense because in the 116th minute it's him that's making a sprint that's like 100 plus yards back from a corner where Ben Rama's lost the ball um, to, to get all the way back as the last man to make a tackle to win the ball back turn and then play us uh, back forward and to keep us um, pushing for that winner so there's no way that you can say to me that, that because he doesn't celebrate a goal, that he doesn't care about playing for West Ham, he put 100% effort in throughout the game and he's got a languid style. So, you know, that, that just leans um, to, to people criticising him for not trying, but he's definitely trying. And then the other thing I'd just add on last is, look, people have defended Kral um, after this game saying, look, he's not played um, a, a run of games for ages. He's not had a string of, uh, of games where he can put some form together. Yarmolenko hasn't had a string of games for two years. Mm. It's been two years since Jarama had a run of starts, so why are we not affording the same defence to someone who gets about eight minutes per appearance for West Ham? It's 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 ludicrous to expect this guy to have any kind of flow, um, and he's become a player who's known for moments. And actually, where does the the winning goal come from? It comes from Jarama receiving the ball on the right hand side, dribbling inside and shooting. Some people have said that that was going in if it's not um, if it's not clipped, but. Regardless, it's it, it's his moments that created often the best chances in the game, despite him fading out for for the all of the interlude uh, intervening periods.
1: Yeah, I just thought
2: I thought as well the point you made about the
1: interchange between the two of uh, of him and Bowen uh, was really interesting and really important. Um, the two combined for twenty touches in the penalty area between the two of them across the game, which is an insane amount. Um, and he had four, well, one hundred percent accuracy passing to the penalty area as well. Four of those, uh, like I, I've, I still want him to leave in the summer. Don't get me wrong, we, we're not renewing that contract, yeah. and he has had some truly terrible, frankly embarrassing performances before in a West Ham shirt, but much. Like people are coming to cross defence, like you say. I think it's important to be give people credit where credit's due. And I, I do think he had a pretty solid game. And like you say, yes, he was a bit of a passenger at times, but he came up in the moments that were important. And he was a passenger in a game where most of the players on the pitch were a passenger for a good percentage of that game. So yeah, I yeah. Think, I mean, yeah. if you're
2: looking at the first half, which is the which is the period of the game, which I'd be happy criticising him for, he was n- nowhere near the yeah. worst defender on the pitch. Nowhere I mean, near.
0: We, we we've talked about people being able to defend Kral We've 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 talked about people who were bad in the first half. So Cal, I mean, I can give you, <laughs> you really go on Crowl. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, man, uh, he was terrible. Uh, I d- yeah, I I do still feel a bit bad for him in general, not because of this game, but just like his. His time at West Ham has just been weird. Like I'm sure no one p- expected it to pan out like this. And I'm sure when he signed that loan contract, he probably thought great things were going to come this season. And it's just really not turned out for him. But that performance against Kidderminster was, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> six six ball losses in 45 minutes. In that time, he only managed two forward passes, uh, which was a 50% completion rate. He only attempted four. Uh, six of his passes went loose. And when I say loose, I'm not talking like, it was going to the designated target, but bobbled and missed. I'm talking, this was like seven yards wide of the target, which is just like, just weird. Like, just, I think he's let his, on previous podcasts, we've, we've questioned, oh, why is Moyes not giving him a chance? Why why is Moyes not played him? Like, where's Kral? Uh, Suchek's knackered, Rice is knackered, play Kral. And I think uh, this for 45 minutes kind of answered most of those questions because if that's the level he's playing at against a sixth-tier side, and he can't string passes together or attempt any forward passes, then Lord knows what he would look like in the Prem. And I don't know, maybe it was just an off day. People do have them, but the level he showed was just, yeah, em- embarrassing to be honest.
0: <laughs> in terms of uh, you know, Moyes is a manager. Who, I think he does rely heavily on trust. I I would assume that a 45 minute nightmare is not the kind of thing that's going to build any sort of trust uh, for Moyes to use him in tight situations.
2: My, my biggest, my biggest um, issue here actually, as I think you can, you can cite the pitch as being a problem for, for his passing. And I think you can look at his passing and say, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite there, but I remember uh, the Man United game in, in the League Cup earlier this season where, where he was quite good and mm. he did make a positive contribution to that game. Uh, Something that that runs thematically through both, though, and does really concern me about him going forwards, and and one of the reasons why I think he definitely won't be be retained, is um, his positional indiscipline. There's this weird overcommitment to things he thinks he can intercept when he very obviously can't. Um, And then he finds himself on the wrong side of the midfield. Now, if you're on the wrong side of the midfield and you're partnered with Rice or Suchek, you might be able to get away with that. But if you find yourself on the wrong side of the midfield, partnered with Mark Noble at the age of 34, um, you're going to be punished. And also not just you're going to be punished, but you should know so much better. You should know so much better. There shouldn't be a point in a game, particularly not against the 6th tier side, where you're making over-commitments like that when you're fully aware of who your partner is. Um, so major, major concerns about how you would, how you mentally approach those situations. And those things are much, much, much harder to, to resolve than than a technical off day.
0: Number one, I want to talk about, and I, I, I don't really feel the need to talk about Noble, because I kind of think we know what Noble does, and at least he... He did that thing where he tried and he puts in the effort. He doesn't shirk. And that's what we get. Um, But it was Ryan Fredericks for me that I found really, really, really annoying (laughs) on a basic level. I've I've not really got a best justification. I found, I found, I mean, I think the the phrase I came up with was he's got the fastest feet, but the slowest brain because he doesn't seem to understand what he should do with a football. And it was interesting. I, I thought he was almost, it was a little bit unlucky that Johnson, Got taken off having had to play on the left side, and whilst not being successful, at least showed he was trying to do things. Whereas Frederick seemed to run forward, run really close to Yarmolenko and go, I'm done now. Um, so, I mean, he's another one. He, he, is, he, is his contract out at the end of the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah. Mean, he doesn't need replacing either, does he? We've got two right backs. He's not someone you'd keep around. He's. Uh, uh, there's a, a weird analogy I'm going to go to but there was a, a horse called Denman years and years ago who who was a really really good jumper um, not as good as Cortez um, but he used to have a, a stablemate come down to the start with him it's almost like Fredericks is being kept along as Declan Rice's stablemate because he doesn't have Mason Mount and he needs a friend um, <laughs> but I can't I can't really see the reason to keep him Jack what just to- <laughs> oh, I've left that, you there I've got my oh, anyway, horses um, Fredericks yeah, yeah, thanks.
2: Um, no, I, I what I was going to comment on here actually was, you know, I mean, you brought up yourself about how you thought Johnson was slightly unfortunate to have been subbed off, and um, although Johnson did have a positive uh, impact on the on the first half and probably despite that mad pass completely like, oh, I don't know what happened there where he just received the ball and passed the ball for, like five yards behind Noble off the pitch and <laughs> absolutely no pressure whatsoever. But no, he was before that, he was one of the more positive performers in the first half. So I can understand why some people felt that it was, a little unfortunate or incorrect that he was subbed off rather than Fredericks. One of the things that the second watch made very obvious is that Johnson literally didn't contribute anything at all to the first 15 minutes of the second half. He might as well have not been on the pitch. Um, so I think that's why Fredericks was kept on. And actually Fredericks for all of the, the I mean, he had, I must've been four or five like glaring mistakes Uh um, and 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 Frederick's mistakes, as you, as you've said yourself, are so frustrating because they're often so unforced. It's like he'll receive the ball under no pressure, and then he'll panic for about five seconds, and then he'll get on. Un- he'll then be under pressure, and then have a reason to panic, and then he, panic by kick, kicking the ball to no one.
0: He is one of the few players I ever think you can watch him thinking when he's playing football.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing that I quite like about him, in a, in a sort of weird way, is that you can watch him thinking when he sort of has the time. Um, in defensive areas, and then he overthinks everything. And then he doesn't think at all when he receives the ball on the right flank whatsoever. He does the same thing every time. Um, and actually, when it comes to doing the same thing every time, he did it all right against Kedemister. He always does it all right. He beat his man three or four times and got the ball away mm-hmm. and got the ball into the box and, 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 and created the problems that way. So, um, yeah, frustrating. But I don't really think he was as bad as those few mistakes would have made it seem Um a, around
0: think you're used to the same mistake so it's more frustrating than actually the mistake is
2: i think yeah that but also around the mistakes his performance level was pretty good it wasn't like you know i think Kral or diop their performance <laughs> level was terrible throughout and then they were adding the the, the mad yeah. mistakes on top i think frederick's had three or four throughout the whole game that were a bit bonkers but then other than that was just a fine performance uh for a right back we
0: talked talked about how you break down one of these teams and one of the things you talked to me earlier about was uh passes per defensive action I that's probably ppda um <laughs> look at me learning new things at 32 um what what what's come up from that for you then Cal? What, what are you i mean what is notable explain kind of i suppose why why that matters and what it, what it means as a whole generally
1: Yeah, so passes per defensive action is kind of what it says on the tin. It's basically how many passes you allow the opposition to make before you um, get the ball back, basically. Uh, It's kind of reflective of pressure, I suppose, If, if you have a lower number of passes per defensive action, say three, that means that you're pressing them pretty intensely because they're only managing to string together three passes before they lose the ball. Um, And this is something I check after most games just to see if there's anything interesting. Quite often there's not. um, There isn't really much of a trend across the season for West Ham either because it it, it fluctuates from performance to performance under Moyes. Uh, He doesn't seem to have any sort of particular commitment to any real, uh, I don't know, pressing... Identity like a Hassanutal might, where there's a general trend of being very intense pressing in every game, regardless of the opposition. Um, but one thing I noticed and kind of looked to PPDA to confirm was that when I was watching the game, the most noticeable spell for me, where I thought we were really quite lax, uh, was from around 30 minutes ish until half time, uh, where I just thought, I mean, the whole first half was bad, but I just thought this was a point where we were affording a lot of possession um, to a a fr- very inferior opposition and and of paying them way too much respect really um f- for another crappy cliche there um <laughs> but yeah so throughout the course of the game we allowed 6.7 passes per defensive action on average um but in this spell uh, of 30th minute to half time uh we allowed Kidderminster to 22 passes per defensive action which is just <laughs> ludicrous like that is Uh, an insane number of passes even even in like the prem against like that that sort of number you would only see maybe against like city or someone like that where you just know that they're going to keep the ball off you and you just let them but not against kidderminster harriers Uh, and then the flip side of this is is um i'm a big advocate of pressing and, and we've talked about before um I think it might have been against Chelsea where we scored that goal where it was a result of pressing and, and it was like kind of, this is what happens when you press, do it more. Uh, and and the biggest testament to that is that both of the goals came at moments in the game where uh, we were only affording Kidderminster two, uh, or well, it was two on the first goal and three on the second goal, passes per defensive action, which is essentially Moyes has just taken the dial of pressing and just twisted it from 22 all the way around to two. And the intensity of the press has gone up and, and they've just crumbled because they're not they don't have the quality to play through the press and, and you put them under that pressure and cracks start to expose themselves and we can exploit them because we've got the quality to do that. Um but I just thought yeah that that particular 15 minute window really caught my eye when I when I was watching the game live and I kind of thought well how can I just confirm that and, and then the passes per defensive action was the perfect metric um to to reflect that sort of drop off. If
0: that is said defensive action does that mean it has to be something that's successfully done it's not just they try to tackle or they put pressure on is it w- which way is it
2: i was going to clarify this earlier no yeah, it, sorry it, cal did say it, it's when they lose the ball and that's a simplification that, that helps with understanding it but it is important to clarify that any attempted intervention tackle yeah. interception any any attempt uh, at winning the ball back or turning over possession counts uh, as your defensive action
1: yeah which kind of puts the 22 even worse. In, it like makes it even worse in the sense that it wasn't just that they managed to get 22 passes off before we finally got the ball back. It was 22 passes before we even bothered. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, That makes that a lot, lot worse. Would you, clarify, <laughs> would you clarify that? Thank you for joining us again, as ever. Uh, we will be back. I know we're a little bit late this week. We kind of thought we would decided we'd add the Watford gaming rather than doing an hour on Um Thank we'll us later. Back- <laughs> for that <laughs> we'll be back post Leicester uh, but until then goodbye goodnight
2: right so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show James Corden hi big West Ham fan yes And
1: <laughs> big knees up Mother Brown man
2: yeah
1: yeah I'm regularly on the general discussion page there's always someone's who got some information so I love it yeah,
2: yeah. it's great yes it's excitement exciting. surrounded by imminent disappointment <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is get on the forum at kumb.com come on your irons